the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the Heart of the City. Well, this is Heart of the City. My name is Chuck Olmstead. I'm the Director of Local Ministry Development at KGNW, and we appreciate you joining us today. I always enjoy this time as we hear about the faithfulness of our Lord and, and how he's worked in, in uh, people's lives. We spend a, a half hour each uh, program as we share the story of God's redemption and his faithfulness in, in people's lives, and especially with ministry leaders. I, I like to—oftentimes uh, ministry leaders don't have an opportunity, pastors and ministry leaders don't take the opportunity to share their own personal testimony— People hear them preach or hear them talk uh, and maybe do, doing some teaching, but they don't understand the backstory and hear how God worked in their life to bring them to that point where they're able to minister to others. With me today is uh, Marvin Charles, who is a, um, uh, one of the leaders here in the Seattle area with a ministry called Divine Alternatives for Dad Services. Uh, Marvin, welcome today. Thank you for allowing me to be here. You, well, you're welcome. I, uh, you were on with us last week as you shared your testimony. And uh, for those that uh, didn't hear that, you can always go back to uh, kgnw.com and click on the podcast for Heart of the City and listen to the first part of this uh, of this story. But let's just go back and and kind of do a little reset here about your life. You grew up in the Seattle area yes, and uh, then uh, lived with uh, who you thought were your mother and father uh, up until the age of nine when your mom passed away. And uh, pick us up there. You heard, found out that they really weren't your parents. Yes. No, I, I found out that we were adopted uh, and that we were a ward of the state. And so... Um, uh, my um, father's uh, sister and her husband, my aunt and uncle, uh, agreed to bring us into their household. And uh, and so um, um, that was, again, uh, kind of shocking to uh, myself, nine years old, and my seven-year-old sister, uh, and being uh, having to adjust to this um, new family situation um, was, was, was difficult. Yeah, was difficult. yeah, and, and, and definitely wasn't a house filled with love uh with a lot of restrictions a yes. lot of li- laws but yeah. no grace no 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 and and that was um being children you never really realize how important that is um for for me we had we had some idea of it because um, my adoptive family, the first family that we lived with, they just showed an enormous amount of love in mm-hmm. all different kind of ways. And, and then to go from that to this next situation where that wasn't the case, it, it was very, very um, impelling. 
Well, and also, as as you and I were sharing last week about this, I, I got to thinking about back in the 60s, that was a different time when it came to children's, if you will, children's rights, if you will. Yeah. I mean, now we, we've gone overboard sometimes <laughs> with children's rights. Uh-huh. But back then, I mean, it had to be a pretty, pretty tough situation for the authorities of any, to, to intervene in yes. any way. Yes, yes. That was unheard of, right? Um, I, like I said, I ran away to the youth center. Um, but a, a guidance counselor at high school told me, if you run away, you need to run to the youth center because if you don't, the police will just pick you up and bring you right back home. No questions asked. Yep. They're 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 not going to ask, you know, or really even it's not going to bother them if right. your if your uh, uncle was was doing the things right. that he was doing right. to you. Right. And so, <laughs> it was a different time back in the '60s. Step forward, then uh, several years, your life had pretty much spun out of control, hadn't it? Yes, it had. Um, by by the '80s. Um, um, I had unfortunately chose a lifestyle that I thought was like most men who grow up in urban core um, was fabulous, fascinating, and and intriguing all at the same time, not really understanding the damage and the um, turmoil that it would create in your life, particularly when um, I started having children, the Mm. impact. That it would have. I was wasn't used to a stable environment, so um, I didn't have a clue about what it would take to create that for children, or or if it even mattered. Um, so you were able, obviously, to, to to make children, but what you did with them afterwards was kind. Of, you were kind of clueless. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 you and, didn't have any role models that stepped before, except someone who was pretty angry. Yes. And and the other part, and the other part is that it was never led to me believing. When I grew up in this 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 household. Um, it, Compared to nowadays, children are everything in a household. Mm-hmm. I had no clue of that. I had no clue of that. It was only t- until I was able to um, um, get in touch with the CPS when I had to go through those situations from um, being a, a, a pretty lousy parent to mm-hmm. working with the system uh, and having to be a responsible parent and what it took. I- I'll never forget standing in the court room um, when we were fighting. After I came out of treatment, after I gave my life to the Lord, um, we had to show up at the court, the, the mother of my youngest children and I. We weren't married. Um, and the courts looked at her and said, she has no opportunity. This is her fifth rodeo, and yours is slim to none. Well, why was mine slim to none? Because well, first of all, I was a man, a father. Mm-hmm. The system wasn't used to men stepping up to the plate. And I remember um, that was a pretty profound lesson I learned. I was being angry and displaying everything. You know, the system's not fair. It's making me have to go through it. Why doesn't it do this with women? And why didn't? And I just went there like everybody else did. And then God sent this angel. I don't know who she was or who she is, but I remember I stormed out of the courtroom. This is not fair. One of my kids coming home, and it's, I heard these little footsteps follow me out of the courtroom, and she said, Marvin, 
Quit listening to everybody in the courtroom. Pay attention to the judge, only the judge. And what happened was um, sometimes in the court process and you're, you're hear, hearing um, negative stuff and you respond in a negative fashion. And what, what you did was allowed the state say to say, see, Your Honor, I told you he's not ready. Exactly. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And, and you're, you're, you're giving them evidence of that, right? Mm-hmm. And so when she said that to me, I just believe it was a revelation for God that said, okay, build your own case. So um, Jeanette and I got married um, right after the, the, the caseworker said, this is not going to happen for her. And then she said, if you were married, it'd be different. But it wasn't like she was encouraging us. Right. right? So I grabbed Jeanette by the hand in the courthouse and said, if you marry me, I'll do everything in my power to make you the happiest woman in the world. I didn't know what that was. But I knew that this newfound relationship with Christ I had, he would help me do that. Mm-hmm. I just believe that beyond it. See, I, I had this. I was of this mindset. I I gave the devil every ounce of me, so I really don't see there's a problem in me giving Christ every ounce of me. Mm-hmm. It, it was just that simple to me, right? Mm-hmm. And I I did things unbeknownst, unspeakable for the devil. Why can't I do just the opposite for Christ and trust Him just as much? I trusted old Red Legs. <laughs> That's my name for, for the devil. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, I trusted him, so why not trust God for even more? And so I read my little Bible on marriage. I read it every day. I asked the pastor who baptized me, what did he feel about her and I getting married? He said, you guys have history. I see nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. We went and got married at the Justice of the Peace. Was she a believer by then? She had been. Uh-huh. She had been in our past. And right. so, so we we just came together on this. I remember when we got showed up at the Justice of the Peace to get married, we were one person shy of being married. And so <laughs> so I was literally in the parking lot looking for somebody to drive through, and there was a guy coming through to pay his tickets. <laughs> and the courthouse was closed, so I asked him what he'd be, and he said, hey, what the heck, might as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I got somebody's name on my on my marriage license that I don't even know who he is. <laughs> but a God did that for me, uh-huh. right? And so we came back, and we began to Put our life together. Put a life together. Go see the kids. Put the kids together. Um, and and we built this little home that we found. Um, it was a rental property. I, I remember I saying, I don't want to move here. So it looks like the police batter around this place. And she said, please, let's just start somewhere. God will cover us. So we moved in. And uh-huh. the landlord was agreeable to it. And we began to just build our little family right there. Yeah. Well, your story, you know, we use the word redeem, mm-hmm. and, and that sounds like a Christianese kind of a of a term, but there really is this side, uh, this this uh, aspect of it being really a redemption story because re- God began to redeem a lot of different things in your life, didn't He? Amen, amen. So, um, I remember the day my wife. Um, went to go pick our children up for their first visit home. And uh, I just came home from work. And uh, and so uh, I just got out of the shower, and the phone rang, and I picked up the phone, answered it, and there was a lady who said, is this Marvin Charles? And I was certainly, I figured it was a telemarketer. And then she said, is your birth date such and such and such and such? And I was like, okay, what kind of product where they need your birth date, right? right. <laughs> and so um, she said, no. She said, I'm a search consultant. And your mother's been looking for you for 43 and a half years, and she lives right down the street from you. 
and I about fell out. I'm like, whoa, right? I knew I was adopted. I knew before my adopted dad had passed, I tried every avenue to find where I was, who I was. And then when he passed, I was still in active addiction. So it just didn't happen. So I just wrote it off. Right. Well, today I'm clean. I'm a believer. I'm a child of the king. And and my wife is bringing my kids home. And so when they get home, we literally get to go and meet my mother for the first time. And she's living less than 10 blocks away from me. Oh, wow. Right. Wow. And I remember. In, and this in, all happened in the same day. Hey, listen, I was I prayed this prayer in in, uh, in treatment when the pastor uh, I gave my life to the Lord. Lord, help me put my family back together again. I was just talking about my wife and my children. Mm-hmm. God, not only did he allow me to meet my mother, I picked her up the next day and brought her to my house. And she said, you live here? I said, yes. She said, no, you can't live here. I said, yes, I do. She said, this was my brother's house, your uncle. We've had barbecues and everything in this house. And then we went to looking through this photo album. And I said, who is this person? She said, that's your uncle. That's my brother, my little brother. I said, well, we went to school together. We played football on the same team together the whole nine yards. And you had no idea, no idea. that he no, was your uncle. No idea. In fact, my uncle, I'm eight months older than him. My mother, I found out, was 14 years old when she had me. Well, her mother was pregnant at the same time. So the state of Washington came in at that time, back in the 50s, there weren't two people who could be pregnant in the same house, right? Mm. So the state of Washington came in and put me up for adoption. And that was how that rolled out. Um, and so, man, hearing that and seeing that, and then I asked her about my father. And she said, well, the last time I seen him was in uh, 43, 40 years ago. And uh, last time I heard, he lived in Oakland. So she made a phone call. She got a number on him. And we called him, and I was able to get on a plane and go see my father for the first time. Mm. And he had had a stroke, but he was convalescing back. And then shortly after that, my mother got on a plane, and she went to go see my father. And uh, he asked her to marry her, and she said yes. (laughs) (laughs) So here God brings this whole family together. My Uh. mother and father were married. We... we, uh, it hit the newspaper. It, it, we were on Good Morning America telling this whole story of, of redemption. Yeah. Of redemption. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what's interesting to me, uh, Marvin, as we're talking, is for those that don't know Jesus, when you tell this story, I see no shame in your face at all. And that the Lord Jesus, when he comes into your heart, you can... You can share this story and being unashamed because he has redeemed you from that. You're no longer living in that. No. And and that's just your story. Yeah, but you know, the the part that I get, um, this is my ministry. This is what I preach. This is my sermon. Right. Is that is, he is no respecter of a person. There's no way in the world that I believe that I'm the only one. Right. I believe that God has allowed me to be a messenger to those who are lost and that he allows me to tell them, you don't have to be lost forever, that the same plan he has for me, he has for you. Now, it might not work out the same exact way, but he has a plan for you. You just, I mean, think about it. I was sick. I realized today that as long as I stayed sick in my madness, 
God wasn't going to allow redemption to be what it should have been, what it wound up being, that is. But the minute I, I signed my life over to him, he opened up a profound door that I'm still being blessed by. Mm-hmm. I'm still being blessed by. And the thing that uh, interests me, too, is that you and I grew up in totally different situations. I mean, I white middle class, Illinois, you know, uh, working parents, all that sort of thing. You grew up in a different situation, but we both, both needed a redeemer. Amen. I was in my sin. I was lost. And I still needed that same Jesus. And that's true today, isn't it? Amen. Whether somebody is living in, uh, you know, in, in Rainier Valley and going through the same issues or if they're living on Mercer Island, they might be going through a different set of issues, but it's still pride. It's still sin. It's still selfishness. Amen. It's still confusion. It's still addiction. It's still all those things, Amen. isn't it? Yes, it is. I, I call that Park Bits to Park Avenue. Yeah. <laughs> There's no division. Christ will meet us all where we need to be met at. Yeah. So out of this uh redeeming story of of a family that's been put back together again and a mom and dad that has gotten married and <laughs> and uh and all of that then uh, out of that then comes a ministry. Yes. So tell me about dads and what you're doing there. So my wife and I, after all the dust settled, we sat down in our living room and said, you know, there were people we got high with, we did time with, we did crime with that were in the same situations that we were. How could we take what we've learned, what God has blessed us with, and open our doors up and utilize what he's given us to give to a community? And so uh, my wife, uh, Jeanette, came up with uh, the name Dad, Divine Alternative for Dad Services. And we said, we just literally opened up our living room and started doing work right in our living room. I'd go off to work. She'd get the kids off to school now that our family has come back together again. And she would start seeing clients. Um, A couple of the services that we provide that have been big big, uh, providers for us is uh, uh, child support management and parenting plans. Jeanette had child support issues. I didn't have any. When your kids are taken from you, the state usually charges the parent, the custodial parent, um, a, a, a finance fee. So, mm-hmm. so as your kids are being taken care of, um, you have to pay child support for the state to recover some of their losses back. And so she was working through that. And uh, I'll never forget she negotiated her child support payment down to a minimum. And then she learned how that was done, and she started helping other families, fathers particularly, learn how to keep your family intact, pay a payment, and then still go on to uh, be the parents you're supposed to be in your family. So as we started doing that, a couple years went by, and somebody came to see us from the Casey Family Program, um, and they offered us an opportunity to sign a grant that gave us the money to open up a storefront. So we didn't have to use it in our home anymore. We mm-hmm. could literally use the storefront as our base of operations. And we were just blown away by how many people were needing help, how many folks were coming to us. And we we did no advertisement, you know. We would ask, how did you hear about us? Well, the word on the street is you could help us navigate these waters. Right. And we just been able to do that for the past 16 years. It's been remarkable. I'll tell you this. Um, 
2004, we wanted to know if we were making a difference. And the reason that came up is because we had a young uh, kid who was graduating from the University of Washington, an economics major. And so he wanted to do some uh, volunteering. So he came in, internship. And he said, let me see your data. And so we had been keeping some data. We didn't know what the basis <laughs> right, of yeah. You know what I mean? Let me see your data. <laughs> right? Yeah, well, I got a, yeah, I got a so, index card over and, here. And, and so yeah. he, we really had, yeah. we had been, we found a, a little uh, software that said Wufu, and we started bringing kids in um, who was looking for stuff to do, and we started asking them to download this stuff. Right. And so it was just a little ragtag, but we did it, right? Right. Well, we showed it to him, and he came back like a month later and said, do you realize what you've been doing? And we were looking at these numbers. It was 3,000 clients that we had seen, over 6,000 children who had been helped by what we had done, and we had not a clue. So when I thought about, well, let me call the state, because a lot of the work we do has to go through the state. We ask them for services that they do, but we have to pass on names and numbers to them. So I called them and said, what do you think? And they said, well, Marvin, we don't know. Let's take a look at it. So we signed some paperwork, and about three months later, they came back to us and said, we need you in Olympia. And so we drove down, and I'm thinking, well, they're just going to pat me on the top of the head and say, right. good idea, or yeah. I mean, good job, or whatever. Well, when we got down there, they looked at the numbers, and they showed us the numbers, and they said, listen, um, you don't realize what you guys have been doing. You've saved the state of Washington over a million dollars in one year alone, 2012 to 2013. You've allowed where we had $36 million in unpaid child support. You've reduced that by 30%. Hmm. We didn't have a clue that we were doing that. And so I think we really realized that, okay, if this is making this kind of difference, how can we help other communities do the same thing? We have an office in uh, Lakewood, Washington, Tacoma. Mm-hmm. Um, where we're trying to do the same thing there. Uh, we we have uh, hopes of being able to open up these and other communities in this state because we are seeing families coming together. We are having remarkable stories around um, God's redemption. And so, I don't know, we just um, ask for prayer to continue to do the work that God's called us to do. Marvin, if uh, and we're speaking with um, Marvin Charles, who is the uh, he and his wife are the heads of Divine Alternatives for Dads Services in Seattle. If you want to know more about the organization, it's aboutdads.org. Aboutdads.org. I would venture to say uh, that that there are fathers that are listening to this program. And uh, they may be divorced, they may not be divorced, but have children that are involved in the in the system somehow. Uh, speak to them. What would you say to them? What's what should their primary focus be, and what should their emphasis be? You know, I I would say that uh, the first thing to do is not give up hope. Um, and the reason I say that is because some of the things that um, we go through in life is to really to kind of test our stamina. You know, I'm not saying God is testing us, but I'm saying that you know there's a lot of things we've endured in our life and we took for granted, and then when things come up that we don't take for granted, and we we can't let it weigh us down. And I, and I I say that particularly to fathers because. Um, uh, what I've seen happen, that even if a father is not in a connecting relationship with his child, there's a hole in that child's heart that that child is going to fulfill. 
that child is going to fulfill it. And what I mean by that is that child is going to come one day and knock on your door and you need to be ready. Mm. And if you're not ready, you know what's going to happen? Everything that that child was told, they're going to tend to believe it. But I tell you this, they're going to come check it out first. So I encourage men to be ready when that knock on the door comes. Mm -hmm. And then ask God to give you wisdom Amen. and favor Amen. and, uh, and uh, let that child become a part of, of their life and, and you become a part of theirs. Well, we've got to wrap up now, Marvin, and I really appreciate you coming in and sharing with us today. If, if our listeners want to know more about what you're doing, you can always contact Marvin and his wife at aboutdads.org. That's aboutdads.org. And um, we appreciate you coming in today. Lord bless you. Thank you so much. And just uh, keep us in prayer. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless. God bless. been listening to this KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on KGNW, call Chuck Olmstead at 206-269-6216 or go to KGNW.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.